I, uh, I watched this movie called The Gray a few years ago with my wife. Um, and I've made fun of her ever since for picking this movie. So this is, uh, so this is Liam Neeson in it. And so they get like, they get like on this island through a plane crash and there's this guy who's skilled at like hunting and he's able to really help them. Uh, but they just get, uh, start getting like picked off by wolves one by one. Um, so like you think that they're, hey, oh yeah, they're, they're establishing some type of organized structure where they're going to be able to make it. But then like there's these wolves just hunting them down one by one. And I remember I, I was watching that movie and I was thinking, man, it can't like end like this. Like this can't be like the way it ends, but it does. <laughs> it ends exactly like that. Like one by one, they get picked off by wolves until they're all dead. And that's the movie. And I was saying, exactly. I said, Eileena, where did you find this movie where we're watching people get eaten by wolves one by one? Um, and so it was one of those experiences where I was like, no, it's not going to end this way, but it, but it does. So don't watch it. It's, it's, it really ends that way. Um, that's how the movie ends. And I think when we are reading uh, the end of the Old Testament here in this Old Testament reading, we might be finding ourselves saying the same thing. Wait, hold on. It can't end like this. The story can't end this way with the people of God going into exile. You know, like, Chronicles is actually in the Hebrew Bible. It's put at the very end of the Hebrew Bible. It's, so you have you have First and Second Kings that's going to give a lot of the same historical stories that we read in Chronicles. Then you're going to have all the prophets intervening and writings intervening. And then it's going to close with a retelling of these this historical narrative, um, kind of with a... A, a more of a priestly bent to it. So you start to see a more of a religious bent to it, but you're going to see the story again. And then, so right here, actually what we're at, when we're at the end of Second Chronicles here, even though there's a lot of your Bible in between that and the New Testament, is we're at the very end of Old Testament story, of the historical revelation. There's no more historical revelation in the Old Testament after Second Chronicles. Um, the, any other bit of history that we're going to get, we're going to find interspersed throughout the prophets, but really, this is the end of the historical narrative. This is the end of the story of God's people. And it's pretty bleak, isn't it? We're, we're right at the end of the story. And God has set aside this people, right? This special people, the people of God, Israel, who are going to be, they're going to fulfill like these functions of mediator and model. They're going to be a model to the nations of what it looks like to be the people of God, they're going to they're look different than the other people. They're going to be this model, and they're going to be a mediator. They're going to mediate his blessings to the world. And what we learn here is that Yahweh's people have failed to fulfill this purpose God has for them. Yahweh's people have failed. They've utterly failed. They've failed miserably to fulfill the purpose that he has for them. Throughout Lent, I don't know if you've noticed, but our Old Testament readings have been focused on the big landmark moments, the big landmark covenants of the people of God. So we have the Noahic covenant at the first Sunday of Lent where we heard about the story of Noah. Next, we had Abraham sacrificing Isaac, solidifying the um, Abrahamic covenant. Then we have the Ten Commandments last week, so, so emphasizing the law. And now we're having the results of the Davidic covenant, right, where God sets aside David's dynasty to be the kingdom of God on earth and to mediate his blessings to the world. And here we're seeing the results of that Davidic covenant, of that Davidic kingdom, that kingdom 
and, and we don't read about all of it here, obviously, but, but the promise that God gave to this kingdom was that there would be someone reigning on the throne of David forever and ever and ever, and that this was going to bring about blessing to the world, that God was going to use this kingdom to bring blessing to the world and to be a model to the nations. And so here we're seeing how that project has turned out. And it's helplessly disappointing. The kings were completely unfaithful. And even when it looks like things are going well, like, hey, this is actually working. Like, right when, so David has his son Solomon. They build a temple. They're praying for the nations and, at the temple. And we're saying, oh, wow, this seems to be working. The queen of Sheba is coming from foreign lands and offering tribute. And you're saying, yes, the, the, the good news is extending to the nations. This is working. But by Solomon's son, the kingdom is split in half and the whole thing starts falling apart and they completely blow it and they're completely unable to fulfill what God has for them. So God is merciful though, right? And what we learn is like even that they're all, that it's not just like the kings that are unfaithful, that even the religious leaders, even the people that were set aside that were supposed to be religious, they're equally unfaithful. It says in 2 Chronicles 36, 14, and we're going to project that but I'm, we're going to stop projecting like the main passage we're speaking from because I want you to um, bring your Bibles. Let's bring our Bibles. Let's open. You know, you know, like I can change the scripture um, with a drag and a drop on this little program. It's really that easy. I could just drag and drop and write a new Bible for you. So what I'd want you to do is open your Bible see before, and, 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 and engage the text uh, yourself, right? It's, it's really that easy. So this is a so we're going to stop projecting the main text. We'll have some cross-references. We won't make it work. You know, but we'll, um, but we're, the main text, we're going to ask you to open your Bible and, and follow along with us. But this is a, so this is what, him laying out just how bad things have gotten. It's not just the kings, but let, it also says this, all the officers of the priests, God, the people that were supposed to mediate God's blessing, right? All the officers of the priests and the people were likewise exceedingly unfaithful following the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. It's a mess. And God shows mercy even in the midst of that, right? And we read that he sends his messengers, but what do they do? They mock them. They ignore them. They ignore the messengers of God. So again, it can't end this way, right? We're right at the end of the Old Testament history. And we're saying it's, it's like an utter failure. And why? Why is it a complete failure? It's because people have always had the same problem. Th these people have the same problem we all have. Brian alluded to it last week in his sermon when he talked about how we, were, we inherited sin. St. Paul writes about it in the reading that we read today in Ephesians 2.3. It says they were by nature children of wrath. By nature, what does that mean, by nature? It's like a part of us. It's, it's, it's part of our identity. So, we, so he's saying all the people, all the people before, uh, they were all by nature children of wrath. By their, so ever since we read in Genesis chapter 3, ever since Adam turned away from God and walked away from him and rebelled against him, all of us are born with this problem where we continually rebel against God. And so the, 
the plan was, wasn't working because God had these people that he was going to set aside to be this mediator and this model, and they can't do it because they're broken. They can't do it. They fail. They, they, they turn away. They're unfaithful. They pollute the land, and they do all the same things that all the nations did. And they, and they view their election in an entirely selfish way. So, the, so God has chosen this special people. They're supposed to bless the world. Because of their brokenness, they saw that as God picks us because somehow he loves us more and worse. And, and, and the Bible, the Old Testament, over and over is clear. God's saying, hey, don't think it's because you're a great people that I chose you. God will say over and over, don't think it's because you were great. Don't think I looked out to the nation and found the most worthy one and then I picked them. That is not what happened. In fact, you were a bunch of slaves in Egypt when I found you. So don't think that you were special. I picked you precisely because I love the nations. But their brokenness didn't allow them to see that. They were selfish, they were self-centered, they were corrupt, and they had the same problem that everyone has always had, and so the whole thing's failing. We also learn, though, that the corruption, that corruption, the corruption of God's people provokes his wrath. The corruption of God's people provokes his wrath. So in the second half of 2 Chronicles 36, 16, it says, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. That God is angry by their corruption. God is wrathful about their corruption. See, one of the striking things about what follows and about this exile that's coming is the agent of all of this. So when, when Israel looks at her history, when she says, I want to look at my history, she doesn't say, hey, there was some foreign king who just got really strong and came. It's Yahweh who does it. So Yahweh raises up the king of the Babylonians. Yahweh sends them in. Yahweh sends them into exile. Yahweh does all of it. He's the one that turns his people over. He's the one that raises up the king. He's the one who does all of it. And why does he do that? Because his wrath has been kindled against them. And the results of that wrath are an all-encompassing exile. It's all-encompassing. So whenever the Hebrew scriptures tell you, like, young and old, male and female, virgin and married, they're trying to give us a picture of it's everybody. Everybody's included. They're all going to exile. Everybody's going, right? They were killed. They, they died, and the ones that didn't die were enslaved. <laughs> all the infrastructure, all of it, the city was burned, the mountain, the, the, the wall was torn down. All the treasures and even the religious artifacts, the temple is destroyed, the artifacts are taken out. The whole, it's supposed to be, you're supposed to see this is an all-encompassing, everyone gets hit by it, it's destroyed. The land is destroyed, and the people are either killed or enslaved. Because God is angry. See, God has a call for his people that they would be a mediator of God's blessing and a model of what it means to be rightly related with God to the nations, and they've completely failed, and so God has handed them over to this all-encompassing exile. And this is how the story would end. This would be the end of the story, except that God is merciful. 
This would be the end of the story for all of humanity except that God is merciful. And St. Paul tells us that we're in exactly the same boat, right? So he, so he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and the transgressions that we've done, right? And that we were just as dead as these people were, that we, that, and that because of our sin and our transgressions, God's, we were by nature, nature objects of God's wrath, of his wrath. That he's, and so we were in the same boat. We would be in the exact same boat as them, except for God's mercy. We're all in this boat because God has a call in all of our lives, and all of us have failed to fulfill that call. God has called all of us to be an example of what it means to be rightly related to the world and to be a, a mediator of his blessings to the world, that when we go out into the world, we bless people in his name. God has called all of us to that, and all of us have failed to do so. And this would be the end of our story, except that God is merciful. And that God's mercy brings about restoration. God's mercy brings about restoration. See, I love this passage because here's the deal. God couldn't even let the story end this way. Like, he couldn't even let the Old Testament end this way. He, like, he, he couldn't even handle it. So he, so. First Kings and Second Kings, you get the story all the way to the Babylonian exile, just like this one. But it's in Chronicles that was written later, written after Cyrus gives his proclamation, right? Cyrus gives this proclamation, go back, rebuild the temple, right? And, and so the Old Testament actually ends not just with the exile, but also with this proclamation of, of a pagan king that God has raised up, this pagan king, to say Yahweh is king over heaven and earth, right? And then to say, go back. And, and rebuild his house. Almost like saying, hey, at the very end of the story, well, there's going to be 400 years between this point, or 450 years between this point and, and the point when Jesus Messiah comes, but ringing in their ears the whole time, the people of God are supposed to be hearing, God is merciful. God is merciful. This isn't how the story ends. It doesn't end this way. God is merciful. Keep trusting in God who is merciful. But ultimately, this story ends with us all wondering, how could God's purposes ever be fulfilled? I mean, God has this people, and, or God has this plan for people that they will be models of what it looks like to be rightly related with him and mediators of his covenant blessings to the world. But they all have the same problem, and, they, and they're never going to be able to do it. There's not going to be this group. Of, like, there's no race of people coming that don't have the same problem that we all have where we fall into sin and are subject to evil and death. There's not like this new group coming that doesn't have that same problem, how could it ever be fulfilled? This could never happen that God could use a people to do this. We're meant to be crying out as we finish the Old Testament story with that. How could this ever be fulfilled? And this problem is only answered in Jesus Christ. This problem that, that exists, that God has a plan for his people and that they are weak and broken and unable to fulfill that plan is only answered in Jesus Christ. So Deuteronomy um, chapter 18 has this um, statement from Moses. Moses, we're reading through Deuteronomy um, in morning and evening prayer right now, for those of you that are following that lectionary. And there's this, I mean, it's beautiful, all these blessings, all this curse, but we've just got, I was just reflecting this morning because I was reading it right at the end of Moses' life. He gets told, like, you're going to die 
and all the people are going to rebel. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to rebel, and they're going to get sent into exile. It's like, ugh. Like, it would be terrible to get that news from Moses. Like, hey, I'm about to die, and my life's work is going to go to naught because they're all going to disobey God. Right? And it's like, ah, yeah, here we are. And that, but that's just the way, again, this is how the story ends. It's not because those people are different from us that it's like that. It's because those people are just like us that it's like that. And so they fall, they're going to rebel, and they do rebel against God, right? They, they do. But, but even in the midst of that story and all the blessings and curses and all the choose life and do the right thing that gets, gets announced, God is beginning to give shape to the expectation to how he's going to meet this problem, how he's going to meet the problem that the people of Israel are not able to fulfill what he has for them. And in the words of Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. In other words, there's a prophet that's going to be like Moses. And with that in mind, look at what happens at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 today. So we read this feeding of the 5,000 right now, right? That happens in John chapter 6. This story is covered in all the Gospels, two different miracles just like it in Mark. I mean, it's a, it's a common story in the Gospel narratives, right? But this one is unique. John tells us, hey, guys, the Passover is at hand. Now, the Passover is at hand. He doesn't need to tell us that, but he just tells us that, right, that the Passover is at hand. It's irrelevant to the miracle, except that it's not. Right? So the Passover's at hand. Keep in mind, the Passover's at hand. Now you have this guy, Jesus, right? And he's like making bread out of nowhere. Look how the people respond to that in chapter John 6, verses 14 and 15. When the people saw that the sign that he had done, that he made bread out of nowhere right near the Passover, they said this. This is indeed the prophet who is to come to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They said, this is the prophet. What do they mean by the prophet? They mean the prophet like Moses. You had a guy, remember, this doesn't take like critical biblical scholarship. There was a guy, Moses, who led the people out at Passover time and then manna started raining from heaven, right? And they started eating the bread from heaven. Now you have this guy, Jesus, at Passover time, making bread out of nowhere. They're like, oh, we know. There was a prophet like Moses that was coming. Here he is. Here's the prophet like Moses. There's the one that we were promised. This is the way that this is going to, this problem's going to be resolved. And Brant Petrie, I said Scott Hahn in the first service, picked the wrong Roman Catholic theologian that I love. But Brant Petrie said this about this miracle. In response to the miracle, they also identified Jesus as a new Moses. That is the meaning of their cry. This is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. They are referring to the biblical prophet like Moses as foretold in the book of Deuteronomy. So these people are saying, whoa, here's the guy. Here's the, we were promised that there would be a prophet like Moses that's coming. Here he is, the guy that's making the bread out of nowhere on the Passover. He's the prophet like Moses. And in Christ, we have the only answer to how God's people can actually fulfill the role that God has for them. Because Christ is the only one who doesn't have the same problem that we all have. He was like us in every way, sin only accepted, right? And so he, he's not like us in that way. 
he doesn't have the same problem we all have. And so he was able to perfectly fulfill what it means to be a model of what it means to be rightly related with God and a mediator of, of God's covenant blessings to the world. He was the only one able to do that. And he becomes the model and the mediator. But get this, and the covenant that we're going to learn about next week, the new covenant, he t- he's, we're going to learn about how the Holy Spirit is shed ab- abroad on our hearts, right? That the Holy Spirit is shed abroad on our hearts and that we now become the model and the mediator because we have been transformed because we have been made new because this Jesus gave us his very Holy Spirit so now we can truly fulfill this place that God has for us this place that because we were weak and broken like everybody else we could have never done in our own strength God by his Holy Spirit has given us the ability to be the model and the mediator the model of what it looks like to be rightly related with God and the mediator of his blessing to the world. He's given us that blessing. See, we had a problem. God wanted to use his people to be both a model of what it looks like to be rightly related with him and a mediator of his covenant blessings to the world. Our problem was the same problem the Jewish people had. It's impossible for us to actually do that. People had to be faithful, but they couldn't. And so that unfaithfulness led to God's righteous wrath against us, but that's not how the story ends. God wouldn't even let these words hang out for for 400 years without correcting the, hey, I'm a merciful God. He is always showing mercy. He's always bringing restoration, and he has made a way for us. His mercy has brought restoration. And through his mercy, he's invited us into a new way of being. We can be models of a righteous life again, what it looks like to be rightly related with God, and mediators of his blessing to others. Why? Because he has transformed us. Because through our union with Jesus, the only one who is able to fulfill that, we are able to be those people that can be blessings to the world. He wants to make you new, just like he wants to make all people who will turn to him in faith new. He wants to forgive all your sins. He wants to forgive all my sins, and he wants to set us free to make us people that can bless the world. What do we do? We turn to him now. We stop trusting in our own strength and our ability that somehow we're smarter, that we'll get it figured out. We turn to him now, who is able to make us new. Don't trust in your own strength for another moment. Turn to him now. And let him forgive all your sins, make you new, and set you free to be a mediator of his blessing to the world. Amen.